All right, if you would uh, take your seats again. We're going to move forward in our time together. Alice, do you know who's got sheets today to hand out? That'd be great, thanks. My name's Randy, and uh, one of the teaching team around here, there's a few of us that uh, share this time of bringing to you God's Word. Uh, we're in a series currently called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching, and uh, each week we're kind of looking at a story from the life of Jesus and how that story uh, teaches us both about who He is as well as the life that He's inviting us to. <clears throat> and as we uh, are moving towards Easter, uh, I've moved slightly away from the um, way that it goes chronologically uh, so that we could include uh, aspects of uh, the resurrection and the crucifixion uh, story. And so we've been in the book of John, in particular chapter 5, working through some texts that are related to the eternal kind of life, and we're going to be extending that this morning. You know, there's um, a lot of different topics that Jesus has uh, spoken about uh, in the Scriptures and in His life, and the two perhaps that are the most significant are the topics about life and about the kingdom of God. Most everything else um, is related to these or perhaps are descriptions or explanations of those two topics. So before we kind of head into our material this morning, let's pray. Papa, thank you for inviting us to come to be with you. Jesus, thank you for the life that you lived as a demonstration of the kind of life that you want for us. And Spirit, you are the one who in fact empowers assists, comes alongside to help. And I ask in Jesus' name that your light would shine today into our hearts, that we would hear your voice, that we would learn of you. And that is even as Jesus invited, that we would reconsider our thinking in light of the good news of the life that you have given and the kingdom that you have invited us to dwell in. Be glorified in what is uh, said and done. Might you have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with uh, a very familiar verse um, a verse we've looked at uh, before, even in this series, as a foundation to numerous others that I want to highlight around the topic of life that Jesus clearly 
spoke of so much. And the first is uh, John 3.16, a verse that we've read, we could probably quote, many of us, but that I believe still remains um, a resource to understand this eternal kind of life. Jesus, in the midst of sharing and talking with Nicodemus about life, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And I want to point out that the word contrasted to eternal life in Jesus' statement is not the word death. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. It's the word perish. When we think of death, we tend to think of the end of life as we experience it here and now and think of it uh, as kind of a finality. God gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him may not die, but have eternal life is kind of how we tend to read that. But that's not the contrast that Jesus is making here, and I believe it's crucial to understand it. The Greek word apollomy, translated here perish, has numerous meanings, all of which are very significant. It means to perish, which as in English means to spoil, to rot or decay. It also means to be ruined, which probably parallels that idea of spoiling and decay. It, it includes the meaning of to be destroyed or to be lost and is used by Jesus in the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Clearly, there is something we know and experience as humans called death. But I would like to suggest that Jesus' use of perishing has nothing to do with what we call death as meaning the end of life. But rather, Jesus is giving to us a picture, a metaphor, a parable, as he often does, describing diminishing life. Not a finality, some kind of single moment, but a diminishing of the kind of life that we are supposed to live. God would rather us not have diminishing life, but have eternal life, fullness of life, true life. When fruit or any other food is spoiling, it's losing life, which for fruit begins the moment it's removed from the plant that it grows on, right? Here a fruit, as we'll be looking at next week from the story of the vine, a grape, many grapes along a grapevine, are flourishing, and then they are harvested. They're removed from the life source, and the life of that grape begins to diminish. And if you leave it in your refrigerator long enough, it'll rot. How many times have you found rotten fruit or vegetables somewhere back in one of the drawers of your refrigerator? Proof in hand. You know, when a steer 
or chicken or any other animal whose, meant, whose meat is for food is killed, from that moment, the meat begins to spoil. Cooling it down, freezing it, dehydrating it, that's going to slow down this process of spoiling, but eventually it will rot and decay. That's the word Jesus is here. Short of the end of life coming through an accident or murder, there's a progression of life for all earthly organisms from bacteria to human life that over time begins to deteriorate and perish. And this could be described as the diminishing of life in its fullness, which culminates in the shutting down of bodily functions and what we see and call death. But there's a huge catch to all of this, at least for humans. And that is that according to Jesus and the Bible, human beings are eternal beings. What we see and call death, the, the end of the physical body, is not the end of the human person. Life will and does continue according to Jesus and the Bible, temporarily in some kind of personal spiritual sense, but later we're told we will receive a new kind of body that will be like the body that Jesus now has. And the resurrection is perhaps the greatest and most awesome proof of life after death that there is. And then the testimony of Jesus and Paul and others that we get one of those too. This physical diminishing of life or perishing has a parallel in this spiritual aspect of human life. Human life was created and designed to be in relationship and connection with God who is life. We were created to be on the vine of God's provision of life and sustenance. And we are, and we do. Every human being benefits from the rain and the sun and the provisions of God, everyone. But even as the human body perishes and diminishes for lack of life, so the human spiritual person perishes, diminishes for lack of the life of God in them. In the Genesis account, after placing Adam in the garden of Eden, God said this to Adam, You may eat freely from any tree of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely begin to perish. Later in the temptation account, Satan contradicts God's saying. And he says to the serpent, to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We all know that Adam and Eve's physical, bodily lives 
did not end the moment they ate the fruit or the day. In fact, we're told in Scripture apparently that they lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. Of the life sourcing of God and sustenance of God in the human body. Yet from that day, both their physical and spiritual lives, along with the world and all the creatures around them, began to perish. When we see and experience the negative aspects of life, sickness, disease, human evil, wars, earthquakes, forest fires, car accidents, on and on and on, what we're seeing and experiencing, the death or perishing that is the consequence of the human choice to live life on our own without God. When Jesus says that everyone who believes in me may not perish but may have eternal life, he's identifying an alternative life to the path and the pattern of perishing and death as a consequence of sin and its diminishing of life in its, all its fullness. And I share this to contradict that with what Jesus now says when he uses the term eternal life. He's not talking about something that will happen after we die. He's rather describing a kind of life that is available to us to be lived right now that is in contrast to a perishing life. And this life has to do with the restoration of connection with God, of the life of God, as a result of our choice to turn from a life lived on our own without God to a life lived with God. If God is the source of human life, then it is only in Him, plugged in, connected, put back on, grafted back in. That is the only way that we will continue to live. All other existence is perishing. It is leading to diminishing of life, not to a gaining of life. While the aspect of physical perishing continues, something in the spiritual aspect of the person has been changed and is changing and will be changed as we are connected to God. When Jesus was interacting with Martha after Lazarus had died, but prior to raising him from the dead, Jesus makes an amazing statement. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks her, Martha, do you believe that? And I ask you, do you believe that? 
It's very common for those who are facing their own death or the potential death of someone close to them to be fearful, anxious, even as Martha and Mary were. And then when the death occurs, there's this loss of connectedness, of course. There's this loss of presence, but there's something that feels so final in it. But Jesus has changed life and death forever. He's altered the pattern of perishing for all who believe in Him. Friends, we do not have to fear what we call death. We are eternal beings. And those who believe in Jesus, we will never die. Now, something happens as the body shuts down. There is a transition that happens from this realm to the next. And I was personally extremely helped a few years ago when I was reading in a book by Dallas Willard, The Divine Conspiracy, which he wrote in 1997. And in that uh, exceptional work, he, he gives two pictures to help us have an idea, an imagination, so to speak, of what that transition might be like. The first is the picture of a child playing in the evening among her toys. Gradually, she grows weary. She lays her head down on the floor for a moment of rest, lazily continuing the play. And then the next thing she experiences or tastes is the morning light of a new day, flooding the bed in the room where her mother or father had placed her after she had fallen asleep. Willard goes on to say, interestingly, we never remember falling asleep. We do not see it or taste it. Another picture he gives is one who is like one who walks to a doorway between rooms. While still there interacting with those in the room that they're leaving, they begin to see and converse with people in the room beyond, who may be totally concealed from those who are left behind. Dallas says, before the widespread use of heavy sedation, it was quite common for those keeping watch to observe something like this. The one making the transition often begins to speak to those who have gone before. They come to meet us while we are still in touch with those left behind. The curtains part for us briefly before we go through. Now, I had not read that till just probably last year sometime. Simultaneously was reading another book by Dr. Jerry Black Jr. called Preparing for Heaven. Dr. Black had been working with Dallas Willard a few years ago, 2012, 13, 14, assisting Dallas in the completing of a couple of last books. Dallas had pancreatic cancer. And Dr. Black was with Dallas in the evening as he was transitioning into the next realm. In his book, Black wrote some of what Dallas said to him in those last hours. But here in this realm, in 2014, 
17 years after Dallas had written the description that I just wrote you a moment ago. Dallas was in a lot of pain. He was in this very, very, of course, later stage of pancreatic cancer. He'd been in and out of sleep and wakefulness. And here is what Black describes. At times when Dallas would look at me, it was as if his eyes weren't able to see what he was really looking at. Yet on this occasion, I could tell he was able to focus on me directly. He said, I need to tell you what's happening so you can be prepared. He started by saying that he was in a hallway in between this life and the next. And in this hallway, there were people who love us more than we can imagine. He said that for his entire ministry, he, could really, he really couldn't quite understand what to believe about the Bible's description of the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in Hebrews 12.1. He said he tried to understand and believe in this reality. He wanted to believe in it, but he didn't quite know what to make of it. But now, he said, now I do. I really do believe. I know they're here. Dallas also said that his eyes were being opened and that he was seeing things, understanding what Paul was talking about as his mortal and perishable self was being removed and the immortal and imperishable was being put on. Dallas realized that he was going through a doorway from this earth to glory and the between space in the hallway that connects this world to, neck, to the next there was much for him to learn that was captivating his mind. What are you seeing, Black asked. Dallas responded, it isn't a strain. And after pausing to cough for a moment, he continued, it, it isn't an effort or a strain to believe what Jesus said. He that keeps my word will never taste death. Dallas described in his imagination in 1997 a hallway, a doorway, a transition that he later experienced, and we have the privilege to hear him describe to us through Dr. Black's book. There's another statement by Jesus about life that's found in John 10.10. Speaking metaphorically of Satan, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Might I suggest a picture of perishing? But I came to give life, life in all its fullness. To me, this parallels what Jesus said in John 3.16 relative to perishing and life. Jesus does not use the term eternal life here, but rather describes this life he came to give us as life in all its fullness. And I would like to suggest to you that no matter whether the word eternal is attached to the word life, when you read it in Jesus' writings, in the, in the words and descriptions of Jesus, that he's talking about only one thing. He's not talking about something called life and something called eternal life. There's only one real life, right? I mean, come on. There's only one true life kind of life and that is the life that is connected to God where he is our source our resource our sustenance where we are one 
with him, as we'll look at next week. The word fullness can also be translated abounding all the more, excessive, extremely more, <laughs> super abundant, and the one I really like, beyond all measure. Now that sounds like the good life to me. I have come to give you life, life that is beyond all measure, that is super abundant, that is excessive, extremely more. In contrast to a perishing life, what we experience when we live our life on our own without God. Jesus is describing a life of abundance beyond measure. That is the life that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden before the fall. And there is nothing on this earth, including wealth, stuff, and even good relationships that compares to this life that Jesus offers to us. Perishing is the life we live on our own. It's the life we live in the flesh doing what we can do without God. The other kind of life, the only other kind of life, is the life that is lived in connection with God, inviting and allowing Him to resource us and to live a life according to Him. So why, if we have heard Jesus' words and believed in Jesus, do we not experience this superabundant, beyond-all-measure life? Claire and I have been pastors since we were 20. Our, our first little flock were two sisters and a, a boyfriend, a friend of theirs, a guy that used to attend youth group. And we've seen a lot of perishing lives. A lot of couples that come to us in the midst of destruction of their marriages. Struggles with children. Patterns of sin. Addictions. We see a lot of perishing, even in the church. Why is it that we are not experiencing this fullness of life that Jesus says is now available? I think there's a few reasons that we consider, can consider that I, I sense leading from the Spirit to bring up. One is that we've mistakenly believed that eternal life is something that comes after death. If Jesus came to give us eternal life, that we would not perish, that means that, okay, so after I die, we get eternal life. So there's no point, what, now I just live the way I want, or I try and be good or something, right? But Jesus paid it all. He did it all on the cross. There's nothing I can do to add to that, so gosh, I guess I don't have to do anything. Just get to wait till I die. And then comes this superabundant, above and beyond life that I'm not getting now because it's not for now. That 
is a mistaken understanding of eternal life. Second, I, I speculate that though we have believed and trusted in Christ, we have continued to live according to our own will rather than dependency upon God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10, one of my favorite passages. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight, on your own self. In all your ways acknowledge, which happens to be the Hebrew word for to know intimately. Do not be wise in your own, I'm sorry, in all your ways Know Him intimately, and He will make your straight your paths. He's going to turn you from perishing to a new path. But you have to have connected, intimate relationship with Him. In all you do, in everything you do, know Him. Be connected to Him. And you won't live a perishing life. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think more highly of yourself. Fear the Lord. Revere. Fear. Draw near. Turn away from evil. That's the perishing life. You're going to have to rethink your thinking and perhaps go turn away. And what's the outcome? The outcome is this superabundant life that Jesus is talking about. It will be a healing for your flesh, that's the body, a refreshment for your body. Honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your produce. Give God your best. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. A metaphor, a picture of, of plenty, of over the top. The writer is saying, there is a way to experience eternal life right now. And it has to do with connected relationship with God. It has to do with turning from the way you want things and the way that you want the world to be. Third, we have continued to live wanting the world to be the way we want it. I guess I had to say it clearly. Galatians 6.8, really clear. Why is it that we're not experiencing this super abundant life? The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap perishing. That's the word, corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Life. The only kind of life there is. The life that's connected to God. The eternal kind of life. Not the perishing kind of life. There's only those two options. If we pursue a path of disconnected life from God making choices that lead us towards what we want rather than God wants, we are walking out the path of perishing, whether you know Jesus or not. I'm not talking about the other eternal aspect. We may get there one of these days. It's going to be a while, though. 
at the very least, every time we do something on our own without God, we are perishing. We are experiencing less. We're diminishing. We're not experiencing the fullness of life that God has for us, that He wants for us, that He's designed us for. Next point, parallel to number one, <laughs> we have a faulty view of what eternal life is. When we think of superabundant life, particularly as Americans, but I think worldwide, we think of happiness, freedom from pain and hardship, not having to work, life being easy. That's the superabundant life. But eternal life at its core is about connected relationship with God. John 17, 3, scripture we've referenced many times, this is eternal life. That they may know you, Jesus is praying to the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is life. This is the only kind of true life. It is life where we are in intimate, personal, connected relationship with God in contrast to knowing something intellectually or knowing about someone. Life becomes super abundant beyond all measure when it is lived with God. So how do we live life with God? Or as I've been saying lately, how do we live the with God life? Well, I, Kevin prayed about it. Aspects of it. The first thing is believe that we can have a with God life. Believe that He will help us, that He is available. And belief includes not only uh, an agreement that something is true, but it's an action that we take according to that understanding. To truly believe that we can have a life with God, we would live that out. We would, we would act according to that truth if we truly believed it. Secondly, we need to really desire it. above all other desires. That's the whole thing about idolatry. In the Old Testament, that we would say, oh no, no, nobody in America has any idols. Well, except, what's the TV show? American Idols, there's some. We do have idols in our culture. No, we all have idols. We all have things that we pursue and desire and do and want. And typically those get in the way of desire for God. Thirdly, what do, how can we live this with God life? We need to create space for it. To have an intimate, interactive relationship requires time. It requires relationship. 
we talk about you know, having devotions, and we have provided a tool for you each week for the text of the next coming week and invited you to, uh, to read that, and we have copies of it out uh, in the lobby for next Sunday. But the life I'm describing is not a Sunday morning or early morning or late night or noon relationship with God. It's an all-day-long, all-night-long relationship with God. It's an all-the-time relationship with God. But in order to do that, we have to learn how to do it. We have to practice. Not one of you can go out and throw a baseball at 99 miles per hour. None of you in this room probably ever will. Me neither. Good thing. We don't need to. There's nothing that we can do that we don't need to learn to do if it's going to be done well. And that includes relationship with God. So the next point is that we need to learn and implement practices that will help us to become aware and alert to God. So why do we have a devotional time? We have a devotional time simply to put something in our day to where we say, God, this, is, this one's for you. Because, real honestly, the rest of the day's ours. So let's start with giving him a hello in the morning. How you doing, God? I'm breathing again. I'm up. Unless you're Terry ter- and your leg's going out again and you're on the floor. Terry, you're perishing, friend. I'm sorry. Might that be healed in Jesus' name, even now. Jesus demonstrated a changing of perishing to life, by the way. All, all of that is supposed to still be happening. You know, those things where he raised people from the dead and healed the sick, cast out demons, made people blind. That, that's the life he was demonstrating. Here's the life I'm talking about, and it includes physical. Why are we not seeing that? A lot of issues in between us and that, I think. All right, so practices, things we can learn to do, like giving God five minutes in the morning, stopping at a time in the middle of your day. I set an alarm. I used to set an alarm. It's not on my phone anymore. At about noon, 1230, when I might be eating lunch, and it says, connect with me. And connecting with God doesn't require 30 minutes or an hour, although I'll tell you, 30 minutes or an hour really is cool stuff. It'll do a lot for you if you were to do that every day for the rest of your day that might become more of his than yours. That's why we have these practices. Because we don't know how to have and live a with God life. We don't know, right? All we know how to do is live life the way we know it. And desire it the way we want it. And when the guy cuts us off in the street and it's not the way we want, then we are upset. We're offended. Because we all live around me. And that's a perishing life. All right, but here's, here's another practical aspect that's a lot connected to that last one, which is look for God's activity and participation in your life. We have really strong communication by Jesus, uh, by the whole of the Bible, that uh, God is with us. The Spirit of God dwells within us if we are a child of God 
we don't have the Spirit of God, then we're not a child of God. Paul says something along those silly lines. Jesus said, I'll be with you always. Next week, we're going to look at the vine and the branches. and We're in him and he's in us. So the problem's not on God's side. The with God life is not, the problem's not on his side. It's on our side. And the, the most significant thing I am doing personally in my spiritual practices is, is working towards turning from being a focused on work and the stuff that's in right in front of me person, which is really easy to do with my personality type, to lift up my head a little bit and include a little bit more of the world than just what's immediately in front of me so that perhaps I can catch glimpses of the edges of God who is with me. In other words, to begin to practice really believing that God is with me. By pausing, by thinking about it, by remembering it. By thanking God for being with me. That, that's what it means to believe. We act as if it's so. So my desire for us as we consider this topic that Jesus has described to us as a contrast of perishing in life is to know that this life he's talking about is not something in the future, though it will be in the future, but it begins right now. It's life for today. It's the with God life that is right now available, but that we're just not very alert to. And as a result, some of us are struggling with addictions, we're having hard times in our relationships, we're struggling with the difficulties, the hurts that others have caused us. And we're experiencing a perishing life that God does not want for you or for me. And I believe he's grieved, sad, that we're not experiencing it. When, when we fall short, when we miss the mark, God's not looking down, oh my gosh, he did it again. Sheesh. You know I've told him, I've told him, I've told him, I, I'm available, I'm ready. He just blew it again. Sheesh. Nope. That, that ain't the God I see in Jesus. The God I see in Jesus is, oh, I'm so sorry, son. Here, let me help you up again. Here, here, let me, let me brush you off. I'm so sorry that happened. Whether we cause it or it's a hurt from someone else. So this morning I want us to pause. I'd like you just to kind of close your eyes and consider what I have, what I've shared, hopefully uh, what the Holy Spirit may have been highlighting or pointing out to you, some things for you to consider. And we have a, a, a spiritual practice that we uh, encourage people in and it's, it's asking the question, what is God inviting me to? What's God's invitation? So a lot of words have gone forth this morning, a lot of scriptures, hopefully truth. But what's the one thing that God's inviting you to do, to be? I'm just going to give you a moment. 
Identify that and then talk to him about it. Or let him talk to you about it. This is, this is our primary prayer time right now. It's you connecting with God, allowing his Holy Spirit to speak to you now and tell you about his invitation for you this morning. Thank you, God, for being with us, for coming alongside to help. For filling us with your life and all the fullness of your love. For your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Thanks for coming. Have a great uh, week. Come on back, Palm Sunday. I don't think we'll be waving any palms, but we will be talking about uh, life with Jesus and what it means to live the eternal kind of life. Have a great week. If you would like prayer, if something was stirred in your heart, if you're experiencing uh, physical condition, pain, uh, uh, something, we would love to pray with you. The eternal kind of life is available, and one of the patterns of Jesus was the laying on of hands. For those who were sick, they came to him. Uh, so I would encourage you to come to him and that we get to be his hands and feet and eyes and mouth here this morning. So thanks for coming. Have a great week. Uh, there'll be people up here to pray with you if you would want to experience that.